Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guest. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to set up a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also, visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com, or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the 9th Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. In these ancient cities, the early Christian church met many difficulties and setbacks, pagan religions and customs, Caesar worship, persecution, slander by the Jews, internal heresy. All these had to be met and overcome by the small, struggling Christian churches. Those are the words of William Barclay and some introductory material that he wrote many years ago about Revelation chapters 2 and 3, a section of Scripture that sometimes we call the, the letters to the seven churches. Those seven congregations that those letters, each of those letters is addressed to were chosen by the Lord for a very specific purpose. But if you read those letters carefully, you really can find the personality of each and every congregation of the Lord's people. And our goal this morning is not to examine all seven letters, and our goal this morning is also not even to discuss all of any one letter. But we're going to think about this morning that letter to the church at Laodicea, at least in part. We're going to spend some time and hopefully think about what is often the most said is the most important part of this letter and what Jesus may have had in mind as he dictated that letter for John to write down to that church. We're calling our lesson this morning, Hot, Cold, or Lukewarm. And that title comes from what is probably the most famous part of that letter sent to that church at Laodicea. In Revelation chapter 3, Verses 15 and 16, Jesus would say to that church, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. What we want to do this morning is simply two things. We're going to take a few moments and examine that text, that part of that letter. Why did Jesus say that to that congregation? It may not be the reason you've thought about before. But once we've examined the text, we want to then think about some applications. What does that mean all the way these many years later for our lives? We're not in Laodicea. We're not in Asia Minor, what today is known as Turkey. And Jesus isn't dictating a letter to us. What's the point for us? We're going to make, hopefully, as time allows, three applications from that part of that letter. But first of all, let's take a little while and examine the text. You may recall a couple of Sundays ago, we had a lesson concerning the section of Scripture we often call the temptations of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. And in that lesson, we pointed out that we have to make sure that we look at what the text originally meant before we try to make application. You remember one of the things we said in that lesson is if the first question we ask is, what does this mean to me? We're asking the wrong first question. We need to see what it actually meant when this was written. When this letter was sent to Laodicea, what did Jesus have in mind When he said that section about, you are neither cold nor hot, it's interesting to see these letters and what Jesus had in mind. Now, we're going to look at two views, especially about that part about being cold, 
But let me go ahead and say at the outset here, whichever one of these views you want to take, the end result is the same. This very clearly is a section about not being lukewarm or apathetic or lazy or ineffective. Several different ways of wording that. But how we get to that is very interesting. There's a couple different views. But before we even get there, we've got to make one examination, and that is that Jesus knows these churches. You look at each of those seven letters, and each of those seven letters contains a phrase, something along the lines of, I know you or I know your works. He knows them very, very well. The church at Ephesus, Revelation 2 and verse 2, I know your works. The church at Smyrna, Revelation 2 and verse 9, I know your tribulation and poverty, or your poverty. The church at Pergamum, or Pergamus, Revelation 2 and verse 13, I know where you dwell. Revelation 2 and verse 19, the church at Thyatira, I know your works, your love, and faith, and service, and patient endurance. And then interestingly, each of the last three contains the exact same phrase. To the church at Sardis, Revelation 3 and verse 1, I know your works. The same phrase is found in Revelation 3 and verse 8, to the church at Philadelphia. And then the letter we're studying, to the church at Laodicea, in Revelation 3 and verse 15, I know your works. Now, why go through that? Why point? We said we're not studying all seven letters, so why look at something from each of the seven letters? It's to make the very simple point that Jesus knew these congregations. Each of these letters was individual to their situation, not just to the life, by the way, of the congregation, but to the community, the city, the culture, the things that were going on in those cities. Jesus knew these places perfectly, and that comes through over and over and over again in these letters. Just by way of one example, in that text that we read together a few moments ago in this letter, did you notice down in verse 18 where Jesus makes a specific reference to salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And you may have read that your whole life and thought, well, that's kind of a neat poetic thing. That sounds really nice, salve for your eyes, until you realize why Jesus would say that. And it's because Laodicea and the surrounding region was known for making ointment and powders and salves to put around the eyes because of the arid region in which they were, the sand and the wind and so forth, that would hurt someone's eyes. And this city was known for that salve, that ointment to go on the eyes. You see, Jesus wasn't just pulling some comparison out of the air and saying, oh, uh, salve for your eyes. Why not that? No, he was saying, I know this, not just church. I know this community. I know this region. I know this area. And that's something they're known for. And so I will use it in a way to encourage and teach them And the same is true, I believe, for the setting of this being cold or hot that Jesus would mention in the more famous part of this lesson. There's two views as to how that can be interpreted. The first one is the one we most often think about. View number one basically says that Jesus would rather us be hot, that is, completely for him, or cold, that is, completely against him, instead of being lukewarm, and that is sort of wishy-washy, apathetic, kind of in the middle somewhere. Now, that certainly could be true, and we're going to talk about why that could be true, and we're going to examine both of these. There is a way in which we look at this and say, yeah, that's what Jesus had in mind, because being sort of in the middle, being lukewarm, being apathetic is extremely damaging to the church and to each individual Christian. In fact, G. Campbell Morgan, in a book about Revelation, said that uh, apathetic Christians, quote, are the worst traitor in the camp of Christ. Now, that may be kind of a strong way of wording it, but I think we get his point. 
Many of you, as I am, enjoy the Truth for Today commentaries. And I especially like the ones on the book of Revelation, the two volumes on that book. They are wonderful volumes. And in that, those two volumes, they deal with this text, and of course the volume of Revelation chapters 1 through 11, about being lukewarm. And they give three ways as to how being cold or being against Christ completely is actually better than being lukewarm. They say these three things. One, icy coldness is more honest, for it makes no claim of being a Christian. Two, there is more hope of changing an ice-cold individual who does not even pretend to be a Christian than of changing a self-satisfied, complacent, lukewarm child of God. And then three, lukewarmness hurts the church more than coldness does. Now, as I said, this is a perfectly fine view. I'm not saying it's wrong. But it's interesting to think about, isn't it? Would Jesus really rather us be against Him? That sounds a bit strange when you really stop and think about it. Now, it's dangerous to be lukewarm. But I don't think Jesus wants either. Do you? I don't think Jesus wants us to be against Him or lukewarm. Now, the second view we're going to get to in just a second. Let me go ahead and say, both of these end up at the same place. Don't be apathetic. Don't be lukewarm. Don't be ineffective. But there may be something in this letter where Jesus is making it clear that I know this congregation so well that I'm going to drop in a reference about being cold or hot that they would understand and that with a little study we can understand as well. And it's this. Set in the culture and geography... Jesus would rather us be effective, that is, be cold or hot, than He would us to be ineffective or apathetic, that is, to be lukewarm. You say, where in the world do you possibly get that from in that text? It's because of the city of Laodicea itself. Laodicea, the city, was in a valley. A very wealthy valley, very wealthy city, I should say, in that valley. It was a banking center. It was known for trade. But in the year 61 A.D., an earthquake leveled the city. In fact, almost nothing was left. But being part of the Roman Empire, the emperor and the, the leaders said, we'll help you rebuild. But the city of Laodicea said, no, we don't want your help. By the way, file that away for something we'll mention in a few moments. We're going we're gonna to do this ourselves. We're, we're going to rebuild ourselves, and that they did. They rebuilt the city themselves. Civic pride. Except they had one problem. They weren't exactly right on the side of a lake or a pond or even a river. There was one nearby, but not close enough to just go out and get drinking water and so on and so forth. So how do you bring water in that day and time anywhere? You've got to figure out a way, don't you? So they used their geography to their advantage. They built a very sophisticated system. Nearby, the top of the mountains, the top of the valley, were the hills and mountains, the top of which was very cold, even had snow at times. For sure, when rain fell, it was very cold. And so they built a system of pipes and aqueducts to bring that water down from the top of the mountains down into the city. But when it started out on that trip, it was cold. By the time it came down into the valley, guess what it was? It was lukewarm. By the way, on the other end of the valley, there were two rivers that came together, the Lycus and the Menander. And right where those two rivers came together were hot springs. 
And hot springs, of course, can be used for physical purposes. Hot water can be used to disinfect and wash and do all sorts of things. And so they figured out a way, amazingly, in that day and time, to bring water from these hot springs up into the valley to where they were. But by the time it makes that trip, guess what happens to it? It cools down and becomes lukewarm water. But that lukewarm water still has some of those minerals from the hot springs. I'm not volunteering to drink that, are you? So you have water that's cold and can be used for drinking, giving to animals, and so on and so forth. That can be very, very effective, very, very healthy. By the time it gets to you, it's not really that good for anything. You have water that's hot that can be used for all kinds of wonderful purposes. And by the time it gets to you, it can't really be used for anything. And you for sure don't want to drink it. Guess what happens when you do? Thank goodness for the English Standard Version that just says, spit you out of my mouth, because I don't want to say the V word right here in the middle of a sermon and make myself do it. Some of you are reading that translation going, ooh, because that's what it does. For centuries, and many of you in the medical profession know this, for centuries, lukewarm water has been given to people who need to be sick to their stomach and get rid of something. That's why some translations use, I'll say it, vomit in that verse. What is Jesus saying? If this view is correct, and Jesus knows that congregation, that community, that region so well, He is simply saying, I would rather you be cold effective or hot effective than lukewarm, ineffective, sort of in the middle, apathetic, just kind of going through the, 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 uh, the motions. J. Vernon McGee summarized it very well. He said, When the Lord Jesus said to the Laodicean church, You are neither cold nor hot, they knew exactly what He was talking about. They had been drinking lukewarm water for years. Water left the mountains ice cold, and it left the springs steaming hot. But when they got it, both were lukewarm and it was sickening. The Lord Jesus said that this church was neither cold nor hot, and He would spew it out of His mouth. So cold water is effective, hot water is effective, but lukewarm water, it's, it's, it's nauseating because it's not effective. It's not fulfilling its purpose. That's the way I believe Jesus has in mind. Now again, either one is fine because you end up at the same point. That ineffectiveness or laziness or apathy is not allowed by God. It is absolutely nauseating to Jesus. That's an examination of the text. And that's way back then to a church that we don't know anything about other than these few verses. And and in part of the world, most of us have never been to and probably will never go to. What in the world then does that mean to us all these years later? Let's take some moments and make some application. I guess the most common application, of course, is that lukewarmness in Christians makes the Lord sick. But the question becomes then, if that's true, what does it look like to be a lukewarm Christian? The answer is similar, but we can get some different shades of meaning depending on what we mean by cold or hot, especially that cold part, right? If we believe that Jesus was saying that he would rather someone be cold that is against him than lukewarm, then a lukewarm Christian is just somebody who maybe has some of the outer forms of Christianity, but their heart's not really in it. They sort of dip their toe in the water, if you want to think of it that way, but they're not willing to fully devote themselves to God. But looking at the other way, if we use the interpretation of cold and hot water, both being a good thing, Jesus was speaking to Christians only and was basically saying that each one has a role to play to the full effectiveness that they can complete it. The key, by the way, is that Jesus wants His people to be fervent 
and to be effective. That's what the Lord was trying to wake this church up to at Laodicea. Did you notice in verse 17, three times he used the personal pronoun I to describe them? I am rich. I have prosperity. I need nothing. But the key line there is I need nothing. Remember what I said about when the city was destroyed by an earthquake? And the Roman Empire said, we'll help you pay for it. And they basically said, we don't need anything. We're good. We're fine. That is a, there's a good side of that, isn't there? Civic pride and so on and so forth and the work that it took and even the wealth. There's a good side of that. But that so infiltrated the mindset of not just the community but of the Christians themselves that they were saying, we don't need anything. We can do whatever we want to do. I am rich. I need nothing. I think this one description from a book called Letters of the Lamb says it well. It says the lukewarm Christian has this danger, quote, The real danger is that he thinks he is hot when he is not. So the question becomes, what is Jesus looking for? If that's the case, that Jesus says lukewarmness, apathy is, is absolutely nauseating, what are some things we need to make sure that we are looking for? I want to give three by way of application. One for a congregation, one for a congregation and each individual member, and then one for each individual member specifically. First application is this. A lukewarm congregation is one that can be busy with programs or ministries, but not actually winning souls. Now let me say this. Programs, ministries, whatever words you want to put on there, they're fine. They're needed. In fact, as a congregation grows, they're necessary to sort of organize the work and so on and so forth. We have to have a certain level of organization, make sure we're doing things, and make sure people have opportunities to be involved and feel a part of the work. And I, Leah will tell you, I love this kind of stuff. I love organizing stuff. I'm kind of a nerd, I admit it, okay? But I love that kind of stuff. But here's the thing. Over time, as we begin to just have a plethora of ministries or a plethora of, of programs and so on and so forth, what begins to happen if we're not careful? We begin to make sure we just feel good because we have the program. Or we just feel good because we have the ministry. And is it really serving the purpose of God? Is it really reaching the lost? Is it really encouraging those who might be struggling or erring? Or... Are we just doing it because we've always been doing it? Or are we just doing it because it just makes us feel good because we're doing it? Over time, programs, ministries that are not evaluated often become more self-serving than about actually reaching people, teaching people, and encouraging people. We've got to be careful as a congregation. We don't just do stuff. I'm not talking about doctrinal stuff. I'm talking about just programs and that sort of thing. We be careful not just doing stuff just because we've always done it and just because it makes us feel good. Are souls being saved? Are those who are hurting being encouraged? Are those who are erring being brought back or at least try to bring them back because of what we are doing? And it becomes more self-centered, inward-focused than reaching the lost. As you transition from congregation to individual, this is true of both. A lukewarm congregation is one that teaches all the right doctrine, says all the right things, but has very little spirit and very little compassion. Now, let me say this at the outset. Is doctrine important? Yes. 
Don't go out and put on Facebook, Adam said doctrine doesn't matter. No, doctrine absolutely matters. One must be baptized in order to be saved. We must have the right organization of church with elders and deacons. We must worship in spirit and truth. We must sing and only sing and so on and so forth. Those things are absolutely essential. But the problem becomes sometimes we check those things off the list, and because we do those few things or don't do these few other things, there's no heart in the matter. Do we really care? For each other? Is there a fervency in our worship? Do we really care for the lost? I want to ask a question I've asked myself all week as I've been thinking about this lesson, and it's one that you hear somebody say, Step on their toes. I'm standing back here a lot more this morning this morning because my toes hurt. What gets me more excited? Honestly. What gets me more excited? When it's Sunday morning and I get to come to worship or when my favorite team wins a game. What honestly gets me more excited? I know the right answer, don't you? If I raise hands, oh, I know. A, every time, A. What honestly gets me more excited. Rush and hurry, for there's no other way to get out of church early than to rush and hurry. Can you believe Ricky McCrea said all four verses of a four-verse song this morning? That's illegal. The third verse is only there for decoration, folks. It's one, two, and four. That's scriptural, right? It's right there in Second Opinions chapter 9, right? But how many of us know that stuff And yet, deep down, it actually really bothers us. It really bothers us. There's the old saying you all know, and it's so trite. We say it so often, and sometimes it loses its meaning. But it's absolutely true that people don't care how much you know until what? They know how much you care. I've asked before, but it's been a while. I'll ask again. When someone gets up the courage to walk down this aisle, to be baptized, or to ask for prayers. And the service ends, and maybe they've been baptized, and they're still dripping wet, or maybe maybe they've responded needing prayers, and they're sitting down here. Can I just ask, what is so important that I would leave before encouraging them? What in the world is so important? Well, I don't know them. So what? That's a brother, that's a sister. I'll make you a deal, and I'll I'll hold my part on this, I promise. If that two minutes it takes to come down here and give them a hug is what costs the roast to be burned in your oven, I'll buy you a new one. I, I promise. I'll take it out of my check. I'll buy you a new one. But folks, sometimes we get all the teaching right, and that's excessively important. But do you remember one of the things that Jesus told those of his day they were getting wrong? They've forgotten the weightier matters, the law, things like justice and mercy. I want to keep teaching the right things. I'm never going to move off of Scripture by an inch. I hope you know me well enough to know that. But one of the things Scripture says is that we love one another. And we love the lost. And we worship in spirit 
and in truth. Could that be a difficulty for a congregation or for an individual Christian? Now let's think about ourselves individually. A lukewarm Christian is one who seeks bare minimum standards instead of the abundant living. I want you to listen to these words about my name is Steve Ridgell. Remember the church who wrote a book called Letters from the Lamb about Revelation, about these seven churches. He said, lukewarm Christians ask bare minimum questions. How much do I have to contribute? How often do I have to attend? How much can I drink without sinning? How far can I go sexually and still be okay? Lukewarm Christians want to know where the line is so they can get as close to it as possible. Lukewarm churches often define the lines, and it makes Jesus sick. Now, I think all of us, time and other, may have wondered these kind of things, but does it not happen all the time? Now, I know, I know Hebrews chapter 10. I know it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So I'll be here on Sunday morning. But you show me in that verse where it says, I've got to be here for a gospel meeting. Are you kidding me? You see, we are the masters. I say we as in just humans in general are the masters at setting a bar just high enough where I can always jump over it and feel good about myself because I've jumped over that bar. That's not abundant living. Abundant living is giving our all. Seeking to stretch ourselves forward. Doing the best we can do. If you please, raising that bar. Sometimes when we first become Christians, that bar needs to be somewhat low because we're just learning these things. You know, that's going to happen. That's okay. But as we continue to grow, folks, we should continue to love God more each and every day. And we should continue to want to serve Him more each and every day. Do all that we possibly can. Not just keep bare, minimum, low standards and just say, well, I've been jumping over that bar for 35 years. I must be faithful. No. I want to grow. I want to, I want to grow. I want to do more. I want to be more on fire. You know, when they, when they say, here's a way to serve, I'm not saying, well, somebody else can do it. I'm going to say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try. I'm going to do whatever I can. And I would suggest that more Christians, and we'd like to admit, live that way. I don't have anybody in mind, quite frankly, other than myself at times. Because it's easy to get into a rut and just say, well, I've been doing these few things for as many years as I can remember. That's good enough. And it's not. But there is a solution. And I don't want you to leave this morning just thinking all down and being upset. I want us to be encouraged to do better, all of us to do better. If you're still in Revelation, I want you to turn back quite a few pages to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Because I think Paul gives us a solution. As he opens that practical part of the book of Romans... The solution simply is to find the areas in which you can work and pour yourself into them. That's what the solution really is. And once you see, that's what Paul talks about as he begins the the practical section of Romans. Beginning in verse 1, I'm going to read the first eight verses without any comment whatsoever of Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. 
The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts, encourages in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. What is Paul saying? If I may paraphrase, he's saying not everybody can do everything. If you don't believe me, try. Not everybody can do everything. But what he is saying is we each have different gifts. We might say abilities. Some people are teachers. Some are givers. Some are encouragers. Some are fill in the blank. There's all kinds of ways to serve. And what he is saying is when you find your area of service, do it with all that you can. To use one, one of those, don't quote-unquote just give, give with generosity. If you're going to serve, really serve. Do everything that you can in that area where your talents are. If you're going to teach, you may not be the best Bible school teacher of all time, but you can be the best Bible school teacher you can be. And you can really teach that class. If you're going to teach a lesson or, or, or preach or give a Wednesday night devotional, you may not be the great orator. Hello, I know that feeling very well. But you can do the best you can do. And pour yourself into it. And somebody says, well, yeah, but those are kind of more public things, teaching and preaching or leading singing and those sorts of things. When you go visit a hospital, really be there. When you send that card, really think about that person and write something that really encourages And really lifts up that person. When you see that person who's lost, who you work with, or go to school with, or who lives in the neighborhood, don't miss the opportunity to invite and to study. Do it with all your might. The hardest part about preaching about being a lukewarm Christian is nobody thinks they are. But when you really dig down... It's one of the greatest temptations Satan could ever place in front of us. Because it's so easy to look at somebody else who's quote-unquote worse than I am and say, well, I'm better than they are. I must be on fire for the Lord. But when I really think about the standard Christ has set, and that is His own example, I'll never measure up. And so I would much rather be cold, that is effective in this way, or I'd much rather be hot that is effective in this way than to try to walk some middle path. Or I would rather be hot that is completely on fire for Christ or cold completely against Him than try to straddle the fence and be lukewarm. Either way, I want to make sure my Lord never says the way you're living makes me sick. I want to live in such a way where the only words I ever hear from the lips of my Lord before I walk to the pearly gates are, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the way I want to live. But that takes being on fire for Him. This morning, are you a Christian? 
Have you, have you submitted that plan? We talked about doctrine matters, teaching matters, and, and the Bible makes it clear there is one way to the pearly gate, that, that Jesus makes it clear there is a plan to follow in order to be saved, that one must hear the words of God and believe those words about Christ. And, and we must turn from those things that separate us from Him, those sins. We call that repentance. We must be willing to say that I'm, I'm changing my life. I'm, am I going to be perfect? No, but I'm going to change my life. I'm going to be different. I'm going to confess that Jesus is the Lord of my life and the only Savior of mankind. And then I'm going to submit my will to His, be baptized, immersed in water for the forgiveness of my sins. That's what the Bible says. That's what we're going to teach. We're always going to teach because that's all the Bible says. Have you done that? Most of us in this room have. If you haven't, we hope this morning you will. Most of us in this room have done that. But may I ask you, as I've asked myself this week as well as in weeks previous, as I've thought about this lesson and prepared it. Are you at a time where maybe you're jumping over the bar you set for yourself, but you realize, I'm not really what other people might think me to be? Just like that lukewarm water is still water, I'm, I'm still a Christian. I still wear the name. But I'm not effective. I'm not sold out for my Lord. Folks, I want everyone in here to be sold out for Jesus. To be absolutely on fire. To be filled with zeal. And to do what we can do to honor Him every day. And so maybe this morning you need to return to Him. To come forward, ask for prayers, forgiveness, prayers of encouragement, and say, hey, I just need encouragement to do better. I just need to put one foot in front of the other better than I have. Or I've been wrong, and something in my life is keeping me from living effectively. And I, wanted, I want God to remove that thing, that sin, so I can really step forward and not be lukewarm. But be fully on fire. Find your area of worship, your area of service, and pour yourself into it. If that's not the way you're living, we invite you to come as we stand and sing to encourage you.